Well, looks like the Black Diamond Trophy is staying in Morgantown for the foreseeable future. Welcome to another college football edition of the Rye Pod. I'm joined, as always, by Jared Rogers. And Jared, it's about a week since the game's been played, but are we still feeling down? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I don't know. It's a down, whatever, I don't know what word I want to use for it, but I'm not good, I'll tell you that. So. Yeah, I mean, you you picked us to win. I mean, I still picked WVU to win, but I am still pretty depressed, so I can't imagine how you must be feeling right now. Oh, uh, well, me picking them to win was more just hope than anything else, so... That's fair enough. So um, we'll talk it. We got a great slate of college football this week. We'll get to that, obviously. But first, we got to you know go back a week. We've had about six days to marinate on it. Virginia Tech falls in the battle to the black battle for the Black Diamond Trophy, thirty-three to ten to West Virginia. Maybe the score is not quite indicative because the defense played better than maybe the score indicated. But again, still ended up being a beatdown. I was there, 35 rushing yards for Tech. West Virginia very balanced on offense, just not a lot went right from the get-go. So, Jared, is there something, what's your biggest, I guess, takeaway from why West Virginia was able to be so successful against Virginia Tech in this one? They were physical. Um, They were better executing. They were... I don't know, whatever words you want to really use for they were the They were the better team that night. Um, and I just, it's it's kind of a weird spot because for all the good that we had that night, there's just still a lot that I have questions of what's going on. Like, I still feel, even after all that, I still feel like the offense is not, like, it's still very vanilla. And I don't know where that's coming from. And we'll get into like penalties and stuff, but like they're still a problem. And it's just, I I just, I don't even, I don't even know where to start. I agree. I'll, I'll kind of, you know, being, I'll, let's, I'll start from just the beginning. Um, The tailgate was great. We had a great time, got there pretty early, got there about one o'clock, and we were tailgating all night. Sandman was incredible, as always, for a Thursday night night game for West Virginia. And once again, for what it seems like for the last 10 years now, the hype doesn't the hype from the fans doesn't match the on-field product. I don't know. And people have been saying it's because the other team gets hype as well. I don't give a flying damn about that. We should be able to go out and kick some ass no matter how hype the other team gets. And I don't think West Virginia is that much better of a team than Virginia Tech is. Maybe offensively, yes, they have a significantly better quarterback, better running back situation than what we had going on on Thursday. But, I mean, 33-10 to 10 is not a score I would have predicted going into the game and seeing those two teams live. The speed wasn't anything, you know, Virginia Tech looked like they hadn't seen before. They were matching up. It was just... Like you said, in the trenches, they could run the ball. We couldn't get pressure on them. We could not run the ball, and they were pressuring Grant Wells all night long. So it's, I don't know what the fix is this year. Obviously, the offensive line has taken a significant dip from the previous two years, at least, because in 2020, it was really good, and then 2021 was slightly above average, and then this year, it's just downright putrid. Um, and it's mostly the same 
guys as last year. I mean, you know, Parker Clements is a multi-year starter. Johnny Jordan's been there. They're struggling, and I don't know whether it's play calling or the scheme. Joe Rudolph, you know, comes in from Wisconsin. I just, I just don't know what's going on. Is there anything you've seen? We could talk even the first four games as a whole that this offensive line. Why are they struggling so much? Um, I, I think moving from a zone scheme to more of a downhill, and I don't want to use that term so strictly because it's very strange. Virginia Tech is running a mostly inside-based run game this year, but from shotgun. And, and I, I've, I've failed to understand how that works, and 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 it's it's honestly getting to a point where there's a conflict of styles. You've got Tyler Bowen, who very obviously is influenced by the Penn State offense and a Penn State offensive system, and you know you're mixing that with a Joe Rudolph who comes from a Wisconsin background of. Very much so, I would imagine, a under-center handoff, big, bulky style of blocking. Um, and I, I think those two things are not meshing well right now. I think there's an issue right now with the coaching in terms of what type of run game. And even Brent Price said that, that this week. He said that he felt like we just didn't necessarily – we don't necessarily have like an identity in many ways when it comes to running the football and, and, you know, the vast majority of text running plays are just straight up the middle. And it's crazy. And, you know, there's other podcasts out there that are even saying it. Like, we kind of in some ways this year need to put the ball out wide. And we're not doing it in any way, shape, or form. And it's crushing players. And Parker Clemens looks lost. Um, the right Who's the right guard this year? Uh, more. Uh Caden yeah, Moore? And and it's Caden Moore. Yeah, right? not Bra- yeah. Braylon's yeah. his true freshman Braylon's brother. A young one. Yeah. Caden Moore looks lost. Um, you know, and, and it's just it's just things just don't look put together. It's it's very strange. Um and you know, there's people already questioning Joe Rudolph's abilities and I just I think it's more so that you got two conflicting styles going one with the other. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be it. Um, Grant Wells, you know, didn't look very sharp. Under fifty percent completions once again. The pick six. I'm not going to say like that's a flaw in his game because you know we're down sixteen in the fourth quarter. You're trying to make a play. I mean, what else are you going to do in that scenario? But again, not a lot of time to throw. Receivers not getting separation. I mean, a lot of people want to say it's because of the state the program's in, and I guess we'll get to that maybe later, but I think we're allowed to assess game by game what happened, and that just, that performance on offense is nothing like I've seen even since like Steinspring was calling plays back circa 2012 when it was just handed, when it was just Logan Thomas run the ball and that's it. Like that's all we had back then. That was the last time I saw an offense like that. And I made this point. It might've been the end of the game. You know, I might've been upset or whatever, but I said, and a lot of people disagreed. I said, Justin Fuente did a lot wrong at the end of this program. I never saw it like that. I never saw the offense like that. I don't care what talent we had. What 
Do you think that's – I'm not saying like that's saying Pry should go or anything like that. Not I'm not going nearly that far. But like would you agree with me that – you know, the offense would never, even no matter the talent level under Fuente, it never would have looked like that. Um, I mean, I think it did at points. I, you've got to look at the Ryan Willis years and ask. <laughs> like, there were games in that Ryan Willis year that looked like that. There was more than um, 10 points. And it was due more than 10 points? It was exactly 10. <laughs> okay, well, then that looks about the darn near same. And that's in year, what, three of Fuente? Three or, I think, four, actually. Yeah, 2019 yeah, was year so, four. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I get what your point is. I think the bigger thing, and, you know, honestly, though, in my opinion, Ryan, at the beginning of that game, Virginia Tech was controlling the game. The, they took Controlling, sure, but, like, you know, it was more so West Virginia going seven, eight plays and out. More of the defense standing up in the end, and we were getting a first down or two. But, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But we were a better offense at the start of the game. I mean, the, the, the offense at the start of the game was better than, you know, as the game went on. And there was a point where there's a minute 50 left in the second quarter, and West Virginia kicks a field goal, and it's 7-6. And then we lay an egg and then allow for them to score. We should have we should have gone into half. Run, 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 stop. Like make them use timeouts at least or something. I don't I don't remember the timeout situation. I think they probably only had one. I remember them using a couple early. So they could not have had more than one or two timeouts left in the minute fifty seconds, like you said. So I mean you you talk about kinda and you know, the fourth and one decision and the decision to go for that versus the decision to kick. And you know, I just I think it's crazy to kinda think about those things and, and to look at where this team's at with that right now. You know, it's 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 as much as I wanna say that offensively it's never looked that bad, I've seen it look much, much worse. So and I and I don't know if I can go as far back as Steinspring. I mean, you got to remember the Georgia Tech game at home that one year where they absolutely demolished us. Uh, the Pittsburgh game where we got blanked like two years in a row. Like, yeah, been, okay. There's been plenty of bad games, and I think the problem is is that it's for the Black Diamond, and that it's for the Black Diamond for quote unquote the last time, at least for a little while. And that's going to sting more. There's no doubt about that. I'm not discrediting that or anything. I just think that at the end of the day, the the simplistic nature of what we're trying to do offensively right now doesn't make sense because I think there's more talent on the field than we're seeing in many ways. So I mean, see, I would agree I do agree with you because going into it, I'm just thinking, you know, just watching like they tell me there's talent. Are they talented or are we just totally do we have, you know, these Blacksburg, you know, goggles that everything's everything is good here compared to everything else. But no, I see Tavion Robinson lighting it up at Kentucky. I see Hendon yeah. Hooker lighting it up at Tennessee. We do have talent here. It's getting totally mismanaged and mistreated. So we need to find a way to use that talent. I think Jaden Blue is a good player. He didn't have over a thousand yards for nothing at Temple last year. Get him the ball. Like the ball hits his face mask. How does that happen? Like just stuff like that. Like Caleb Smith can make plays. Let's get him the ball more. Dewan Lofton, I've heard the last two staffs sing his praises about how dynamic of a playmaker he is. Why is he, you know, a ghost when it matters? Just 
I don't I don't know if what it is, but I keep hearing about this talent and hearing everything, and it's it's just not showing, and it's just getting really frustrating. Well, and I think we got to move. Oh, there's such a weird line with this. Virginia Tech has got to move out of the old era of college football in many ways. I feel as if we are very stuck in the mud when it comes to playing freshmen. And and this is where I'm going to argue against other major podcasters out there. Uh, If you have a more talented football player, I don't give a flying hoot about his red shirt. Get him on the field. If you redshirt the kid and then you piss him off to the point where he transfers, which, by the way, happens now a lot. All the time. Then you're not giving a playing experience to those kids. And then B, when those kids finally get playing experience and then they don't quite look ready, you can't start asking questions like, well, how did this happen? Like, the number one example of that is the corners. Like, Chapman and Dorian Strong and Breon Murray, you know, I know Strong has had his issues, and he's been injured, and I don't know, something's weird about him all season, but I think Chapman's been a better player this year. I think Breon Murray's been a better player this year, but at the same time, it's like those guys got thrown into the fire. They didn't get any sort of... You know what I mean? Like, they didn't get any sort of time. They got thrown into the fire. So why are we being so hesitant with other freshmen that apparently we have talented freshmen on the team? Like, why are we holding back talented freshmen? The prime example is Christian Moss, right? Yes, he was wide open on that one pass play. Here's a kid who's, who's, you know, not getting any sort of burn whatsoever. He's got a prototypical size. He comes in, and I know he still needs to work on route running and stuff, but he's a better-sized player for the position out wide. He allows you to shift Dwayne Lofton inside. So it's like, why are we talking about red shirts with kids if at the end of the day we're at a point with our program where it's better to just get development? Like, we don't need to be talking red shirts on kids that are – talented we just we, we that's the there's freshmen playing all across the country right now and there's, there's no excuse for us to be so stuck in the mud and thinking that it's going to be better to redshirt them i i will fight anybody that says otherwise and i know there's people trust me and we you and i both know who i'm talking about yep that i know exactly who you're talking about they'll die on the grave of saying that redshirting is better but i don't think it is right now not with not with this team. When these kids leave early, I mean, what's the point? Like, the, they they leave his redshirt sh- sophomores. Like, if they're good enough for the draft, they'll leave his redshirt sophomores. There's no difference. That's actually playing one year less than if they played three years without redshirting. So that right. logic I never understood. But I yeah, I see your point. We gotta move on from it. Get the ball in the hands of playmakers that can make plays. And this team is just not doing it for whatever reason. And you know. Again, I have never been a you know pry ain't it guy, and I heard there's a lot of sentiment um, in the in Blacksburg about it is his first year. Look what he's left. Look what the previous administration left us. Let's give him a chance. But the penalties and the procedural stuff and the clock management is really concerning. Uh, the you get a false start and then a delay of game. Like what the hell? Like that, that is, that was absurd. That's when I lost my mind. The delay of game, I can't, it might've been like the second or third quarter, the delay of game after the false start. I damn near lost my mind, Jared. 
I, well, I can only imagine. I, I, I could. I actually the whole night was just imagining what you were like in that stadium. Um, <laughs> but, hey, uh, but you know, it, I don't want to ask this question too early. But it might be the question of is is Tyler Bowen not it? That hate you know the play calling has been less than superb. I'll say that. Yeah, and you know, and it's not me trying to overreact. And I know we've, but like, I don't, I don't see anything right now that's telling me he understands what his players are, that he understands the talents of his team, that he can handle those situations. And I, I don't know. I'm a little concerned about that right now. And That's, like I said, when you have such a conflict with Joe Rudolph, who does come from that power blocking scheme, but you're not going to run shotgun sets. Like I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand the mixed philosophies there. You either go all in on being a power team, or you go all in on being a spread offense. But you can't be both, and you can't coach both. And when you start trying to coach too many things at once, trust me. You know, I've seen it way too many times, and I when I try to coach teams, you know, like for you know different school stuff and stuff, the, the more you try to add, the worse it gets. So it, it, I feel like right now with VT, it's like they're adding way too much, and these kids can't handle it. Like there's just nothing. That, that, you know, it takes a kid like Parker Clemens a good while to get used to the Fuente system and now it's oh well Joe Rudolph does you know offensive line stuff completely different way so yeah that's that's the offense is the thing like we'll talk about it in the Carolina preview but if we can't score some points there like because West Virginia has a bad defense but I think they they're they're more than what they had shown in their previous three games and I think they're more they're closer towards what they showed against us than they showed like against Kansas but again very average defense and we're going up this week against a bad defense so I want to see how we look there moving on to our defense very quickly um I was actually pretty encouraged. It, we held them to four field goals. They had the one touchdown at the end of the half and then one other touchdown, and that was it. The red zone defense stood them up. They made four field goals, credit to them. But again, you know, the I seem to be in the minority. Dax Hollifield's roughing the passer penalty. Crucify me for this. I think it was a good call, and he knows better. And then the I'm still waiting on a replay on the Norrell Pollard hands to the face. I didn't see that. Lane didn't show a replay. I don't know if they showed you one on the telecast, but I'm still waiting for that. And uh, just, you know, trying to hold. They just got tired at the end, I think, is my ultimate thing. And those two penalties were drive extenders that we didn't need. So what was your overall, I guess, assessment of the defense that I thought played fairly well, given what our offense was putting them in? 100% did their job. Um, I, I, I'll stand by it. Um, uh, the hands to the face will hold, in my opinion. Um, if you end up watching the coverage again, two guys uh, double-team Norrell Pollard on that play, and one guy like gets him to where he's like essentially getting lifted to the point where I think he ends up putting his like hand underneath the dude's face mask because he's getting... like literally like lifted off the ground. And so I think that's what happened there. Um, the Dax one, Dax has a play like that every year. Um, you know what I mean? Like he has that play every single year. And it's funny because 
it, it, it happens. And then it's always like, you know, in the moment you're upset about it. And it, it, if you watch it, it's a bang, bang situation and you can't, you know, you can't dwell on it too long. My, I know, but my, my quick thing on that for the people that are saying it's a horrible call is Dax has been here five years these refs are looking for any reason to extend drives, especially these Big 12 refs that came into Lane Stadium. So they're they're going to make, I'm saying like they're going to make that call. And he knows that once the ball is gone, go away from JT Daniels. Like it, it was late. I think it was late. And I just think, like, I was not surprised at all when the flag came out. It's frustrating, yes, because it was fourth down and the pass fell incomplete. But he knows better. But you wanted to talk about the Big 12 refs. I'm curious about something. I'm looking it up and seeing if I can even find a way to, to tell. It does, I don't even know if I'll find it. Do you know if last year's game was refed by ACC refs? I do. I do not remember. I think, actually, yes. I think they were. I wonder who the... I mean, I, again, that's totally me spitballing right now, but I think... I mean, that had to, there is no way we let them bring Big 12 refs to lane if we didn't have ACC refs in Morgantown last year. I just, I don't want to dwell too much on it, but this is the same crew, and I saw this in a tweet, someone was responding. This is the same crew that when Texas played Alabama, they flagged Alabama more times, like at least three more times than they flagged Texas. Like, Yeah, Alabama had 15 penalties in that game. By the way, this is the same crew that they had the whole controversy about the roughing and all that, you know, all that stuff that was happening in the end zone. Yes. Yeah, that's the same crew. Oh, so, wonderful. So, great. Like, <laughs> I just... Wonderful. As much as as much as much penalties... Here's the thing. West Virginia ran an uh, outside stretch play. And if you watch the... You, you, you know the play I'm talking about. The vast majority of the night, Donaldson would get the handoff. He'd wait for about a second, and then he'd bounce outside and run for 10 yards or 8 yards or whatever. The problem is, on those plays, every single time, the right tackle was holding the D lineman. And, look, that happens. Like, on those stretch plays, they're going to be called or not called. And I I stand by the fact that at least 50% of those times, there were holds that were missed. And so, you know, I, I just, I'm curious about that. But, you know, the big thing going back and reverting is we talked about who was the number one player we needed to limit outside of the big boy running back. Hold on a second. My dad just got home and he's screaming. And so me should know I'm podcasting right now. <laughs> this is kind of funny. Um, it was uh, Donaldson. Well, Donaldson we knew, but Ford, who else did we say? Ford Wheaton. Ford Wheaton. You know what his stats were for the game? Not great, right? Three catches, 23 yards. Yeah, I, I didn't hear his had, name a lot. He actually had the third lowest average per catch numbers on the team. He, he had a terrible game. I mean, it's, you know, for his standards, he had a terrible game. So that's where I find positives. And that's where I find positives going into this week because. North Carolina's best strengths are their wide receivers. And we're right now doing a really good job at covering wide receivers. As much as people don't want to say otherwise, and I know we had the the you know the penalties and all that stuff and, and those things, but overall we've done a nice job against receivers. So 
that's something we'll look at for sure. Um, yeah, just that loss, it, it's a bummer. Um, we'll go ahead and go ahead and pick the other games here for week five. I guess it is. Because um, there's not many other storylines to go away from. All the top teams won. I was in Columbus for the Ohio State game. I'll tell you what, the Buckeyes look pretty good on offense. I know Wisconsin's a little down, but... Their defense was supposed to be some tops in the league, and Ohio State made them look like mincemeat out there. It was an incredible scene, and just, I guess, quickly, like, I joked about seeing a real college football team. That felt like real college football. Like, yeah. just the, the way they could play, the way the fan—I mean, our fans are great. They're engaged in the game, but just there's, there's just a different vibe with how the team performs, and they stayed throughout the whole game. We only left early because, you know, we had to drive two hours back, but— Great fans, great tailgate we had, and tell you what, it is a totally different level from what I have seen the last few years out of Virginia Tech, and that's probably going to be a playoff team, and I just wanted to say how impressed I was being at Ohio State in the horseshoe. It was an experience I'll definitely never forget. Yeah. Uh, let's start with a game on Friday. Like, I'm making these picks on a whim. Like No one knows what I'm thinking. I don't even know what I'm thinking here. Um, Washington is at UCLA. Both teams undefeated. UCLA, three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. I mean, there's not really a home field advantage. It's the Rose Bowl on a Friday night. Um, I'm actually going to go with the upset here. I'm going to go with the home dog. I'm going to go UCLA. I think Washington's getting a little bit too much love for what they've done against, like, the Michigan State, who's terrible, by the way. If you've seen them play, they're not good. And Stanford, who's not as good. I think Washington's ranked a little bit too high. I think UCLA, experienced quarterback, experienced coach in the Pac-12. Kalen DeBoer, again, his first year in the Pac-12. I think they get this win, and it's one of those weird Pac-12 Friday nights. Yeah, I, I actually also have the upset. Oh, there you go. So, you know me, home dogs. and I think UCLA is a better football team than... than uh, what maybe is being let on. Yeah, I agree. You know, they're undefeated. All right. Um, Michigan and Iowa. Now, Michigan struggled. You say struggled. They won by seven against Maryland. Iowa has not really scored many touchdowns all year, but Kimmick Stadium is where top 10 teams go to die, as they say. Um, Michigan's first road game of the year. Where are you leaning here? Michigan. Okay. I was not good. I I'm sorry. yeah, I agree with you. I think Michigan goes in and rolls. I after last week, especially. Good job, Maryland. Way to at least test them because if they didn't, and Michigan was kind of lulling into this week, maybe after yeah. Maryland, then I'd be going Iowa. But no way in that. No way. No. Um, if for a gambling nod, whatever whatever Iowa's team total is, bet the under. Whatever it is. I don't care if it's 6.5. Bet the under of that. They're not really scoring. I don't think they get to double digits. I really, truly believe that. Yeah. A ranked top 15 matchup in the SEC. Kentucky. It's not game day. It's Kentucky Ole Miss. This one, I've gone back and forth with this. Ole Miss, I have it here as 6.5. I think it's down to 5. Um which means the smart money's coming in on Kentucky. I'm worried about an 11 o'clock start for those fans in the Grove that are still drinking at the tailgates. I'm going to go Kentucky in a really close, high-scoring game because I think their quarterback, Levis, is playing pretty well. 
And I think Ole Miss is not going to be able to run the ball as successfully as they have in the first four weeks because they have played nobody. I think this is their first big test. Kentucky's battle-tested. They won at Florida. I know Florida didn't look show great against Tennessee. I think Kentucky wins this one, so I'm two for two on upsets right now. Oh, no, we picked Michigan. I'm two for three on upsets right now. Um, it's a 12 o'clock kick, by the way. 11 local, though. Oh, well, 11 local. Like, in, in Oxford, it's 11 a.m. Uh, I'm thinking times. <laughs> um, also, it has moved to minus seven. Seven. Uh, oh, it's moved up? Yeah. Back really? Yeah. Uh, huh. I'm taking the Rebels, although there's a good bit of news coming out. Well, not news, but... Lane Kiffin had a his weekly press conference. That's what I was trying to get to, yeah. Commented on how poorly the fans are doing of supporting the team. Mm-hmm. He said he tried social media and all these other things and people aren't doing anything and he like has he said he essentially like gives up, which I was like, "Oh gosh." I was like, "That's that's not what you want to hear from your coach. <laughs> like he was like, I'm going to let them do what they do, and I'm going to take care of what I can do. And I was like, That's surprising. That's not what you want to hear, especially from Lane Kiffin. Like, he's going to leave that it. place. He's going to leave it. That's what I was. That's exactly what I was getting to. I'm like, if here's a guy that literally could go anywhere to he wanted to Auburn. He's going to go to Auburn. He's going to go to Auburn at this point, so that way he can get full revenge on Nick Saban. I'm like, you, you're losing him here. You're really losing him. But I'm going to take the Rebels. Maybe they make a statement in response. Maybe that kind of fires up the fans a little bit. Here's the game that would have been game day for sure if Arkansas had just you know, kicked a field goal correctly and not fumbled. Um, Alabama at Arkansas. Jared, I've I've honestly gone back and forth. I'm dying to pick Arkansas, but I I can't. I think Bama. It's gonna be it. Seventeen is way too much. I'm gonna take Bama, but man, it's gonna be a kick at the end or something. Because I'd like if if Arkansas had won and been undefeated, Bama would have rolled. But I think because they lost, Arkansas comes in with a new type of focus. But I just don't think it's quite enough. I don't think they have the downfield passing attack that's a Saban team struggles against. So give me Bama, but very, very close. Yeah, I mean, you take a plus 17. I mean, that's for sure. That's easy. Um, uh, I take Bama. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to bet again. Wait, I have it in my betting rules. Don't bet against Bama. Don't bet against Bama. <laughs> like, just don't bet against Bama until they prove you otherwise. And so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just do that. There you go. Rematch of the Big 12 Championship, Oklahoma State taking on Baylor. Baylor has a loss already. An impressive win on the road last week against Iowa State. Oklahoma State comes in undefeated, haven't really played anybody. But, again, another tough one. Baylor's the home favorite. I think Oklahoma State, and I I don't know why I believe this. I don't have any reason to, but I think Oklahoma State goes in there and gets a win in a in the rematch. Gets a little bit of revenge, and I think Oklahoma State now is the team with a clear path to the Big 12 championship. And even if they win out, maybe only you know falter once, they've got a shot at the playoffs here. But they, they need to win this game. If Oklahoma State loses this game, I think playoffs and Big 12 championship are out of the equation for them. 
Yeah. Hmm. Boy. I don't like this one. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a gross it's a stay away game betting wise. Like the big twelve and trying to pick things because none of it ever has any rhyme or reason. Um I'll take Baylor. Mm, the home Only faves. Only the home faves. I just don't know anything about Oklahoma State yet. It's, it's, and I, we're gonna find. I I agree. We're gonna find out a lot about them this week. It's the same argument I always have. It's like I need to see you playing well to change my mind. I agree. All right, let's go to the second best matchup in the ACC this week. Wake Forest taking on Florida State. How in the world will Wake Forest come down from last week? Give me Florida State. And give me Florida State by a lot. I don't think Wake is nearly as up for this game as they were last week. It's going to be... I mean, I don't know if this game's going to be in Tallahassee because of the hurricane scenario. But, again, I think Florida State is a lot better. They're a lot better coached. I think Wake is... There's no way they bounce back from the heartbreaker against Clemson last week. Give me Florida State and give me them big. Yeah, I was going to make a funny yet not funny sort of thing there that I don't even know if the game gets played. That that too. But, I mean, uh, I'll pick Florida State if the game gets played, um, but I don't know if it will. At this point, yeah, there's no way to tell. Um, college game day, top 10 ACC matchup, the best ACC matchup of the weekend, NC State at Clemson. We were mentioning Clemson coming off that thriller against Wake Forest. NC State, you know, escaping by the skin of their teeth, but they've looked better recently. Death Valley at night, too much. This is the show-me game for NC State, but I think Clemson, I, I unfortunately think this. I would, whatever this, I wrote the spread at 6.5, whatever it is now, I'd still lay the points with Clemson. I think they're focused. They're, last week, I think, flipped a switch for them. I think they're going to go into this game and roll. They've, there's too much talk about NC State, and I think Clemson knows that, and I think Clemson rolls them. Yeah, Clemson's at home. This is at NC State. We'd be talking definitely an upset here. I just don't think it's. I don't think it's possible. Yep, I agree. The whole dramatic. Here's the bus ride over. Oh, I've that. I've seen that. It's so overrated. It's just I don't give a flying <laughs> damn about it. <laughs> That's such an overrated entrance. Um. Interesting game in the Big 12, West Virginia and Texas. Texas coming off a loss to Texas Tech. West Virginia with the long weekend. I think they're getting too many points. I'll still take Texas because I think there's more of a focus there. But if they lose this one right before Red River, Sark is only in year two. There's going to be some talk about him. What do you think? Uh, yeah. There's, uh, there's issues there. <laughs> there's issues on both sides. I even told my West Virginia fan friends, I said, even in a 33-10 to 10 game, I wouldn't quite celebrate the job Neil Brown has done. But yeah, I, I, what I told them after I said, I hope you're proud of the team you beat. Yes. Yeah. Not the coaching that went into it. So. Are you taking Texas? Um, yeah, I'll take Texas. Okay. Um, Duke is a favorite at home against Virginia. I'm going to take Duke. I think they're better. I'm also taking Duke. Mike Elko has been the higher of this cycle. We'll, so we'll see when he gets into ACC play, but so far I agree. 
Say what you will. He's winning games when they were projected to get two wins for the whole season. He's the higher of the cycle. Absolutely. Um, I am not as prepared for this one. Uh, a hot dog, an underdog you think will cover or win outright. Uh, do you have one? Because I'm still looking. Well, you know me. I like to go back to the well that never dries up sometimes, which it always is dry. I just like to tell myself otherwise. I am going with the Miami of Ohio Red Hawks. There you go. Um, they're getting plus one and a half. I know not the most exciting one. So this is they're obviously an outright win. What? This is obviously like you're picking them to outright win here. Outright win. Yeah, 100%. They're uh, one and a half against Buffalo. Shout out to uh, Kansas, which, uh, you know, they lost their coach to Kansas. And I think Buffalo is not a very good football team. So I don't know why they're getting one and a half. But, oh well. I'm honestly, I, I totally forgot what others that we talked to have picked. So I don't want to steal one. I saw one I liked. Northwestern plus 25 and a half is juicy. I'm not going there. I think, I'm thinking I take the most obvious one on the board. I don't think, I saw Ohio State play last week. I don't think they beat Rutgers by 40. I think they're, they're, they're getting, Rutgers is getting 40 and a half. I don't think they beat them by that much. I think Rutgers covers that pretty easily. So I'll, I'll take Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, 40 and a half. I mean, that, that's a lot. Maryland, by the way, eight and a half point favorites against Michigan State. That line opened up at three. All right. All right. Let's talk about it. Virginia Tech, North Carolina. First ACC coastal game for both te- both teams. Um, no reason to believe Tech should have a chance in this one. North Carolina's nine point favorites. Um, what's the key? I'll, I'll, I'll get to you in a second. I don't want to steal yours, but I think the key is something we had seen in previous years when going up against an offense we knew we couldn't stop, and that is to slow possessions, lower possessions, be slow and deliberate with our play calling and you know snapping the football, limit Drake May and those great wide receivers we talked about, because I still think they'll be able to score in the high 20s and 30s against us. Can we score in the 30s? I think just limiting possessions is the key there. I think the defense will play its best considering, you know, that they're pretty well coached on that side of the ball. But, again, it's the offense. Can they limit possessions? Can they get long drives? Points on the board. That'll be the key to a hokey, I guess, upset for some reason. Yeah, and what does the hurricane do? I mean, you know. That favors us. I mean, what is the – I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, what – everybody keeps saying – does the hokey offense find itself? I'm like, does the offense need to find itself? That's a fair point. I mean, like, the defense could easily go out there and a bad ball thrown by Drake May and and it's a pick six or a fumble or something. And that's what happened in the other hurricane game. In 2016. Never forget the, the tweet that went out that said, Mitchell Trubisky has not thrown other than the hurricane game. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were the thrown out game when looking at his yeah. stats. Yeah, so um, I am just I think weather is going to play a huge factor. So, who wins? Who wins? That is truly the question. I'm going to take Tech just because I'm just so hopelessly 
Damn it. I was hoping I'd be the only one to take te- There's no rhyme or reason behind it. I think Tech wins this one. Yeah. I think they're, again, double digit underdog for what it's worth, probably up to now. I think we own North Carolina, and I think we go down there and get a win. I don't know why. I think this is one of the, I don't think we're going to lose five in a row. I don't no. see it. Or six in a row, or whatever it is, five in a row. I don't think we're going to do that. So Tech wins this one. Maybe. And, I'm, and that's not. You know, talking about future games like against NC State and Pitt and Miami, but I think I think we win this game because North Carolina's coming off the beatdown they took to Notre Dame, another bad offense that rolled all over them. How really hyped up are they to play this game? I'd say not really. And we have the long week to prepare. I think Tech wins. I don't know why. Also, don't look now, but if that happens, we're still doing out. Number Tech's number one in the coastal. We're still number one in the if, coastal. If the season ended today, we're going to the title game. So, all right, well, I guess stay dry this weekend if anyone down there, I don't know if anyone listens to us down there, but, you know. I'm going to have to be. Yeah. I'm going to the stinking Ravens game on Sunday. Oh, please be be careful. Yeah, please bring a poncho. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be fun. But, yeah, anyone down there in Hurricane Ian, stay safe, stay dry. Yes. Do what you can. You know, we're praying for you. Um, Hope it's um, safe and everything. Um Let's have a good, better weekend than we've had the past couple weekends in terms of me betting and just picking games. That's just been all over the place. So let's let's have a good, productive, you know, weekend coming up. Do you have any more like don't give Jalen Holston the ball <laughs> moments, Jared? Oh, I was gonna say, Ryan, say it with me. Don't give Jalen Holston the ball. Don't do it. Just just don't. I'm over it. I'm not even shouting anymore. Just what what talent does he exhibit? You know no. what he is. He is what he is. I'm sorry. Um, yes. Other than that, uh, the other big thing is always live bet the overs in Pac-12 games. There you go. At, at this weekend. There you go. Excited for it. Thank you all for tuning in. Enjoy your weekend. Hope to have a couple more. Hope to have an NFL episode coming out this week as well. And then next week we should get back to a more normal podcasting schedule. So enjoy this weekend, everybody, and have a great time.